Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. After the Jagged Tour, Doug called me. Oh, during that, Tackhead was was they were playing a they were playing a gig at the Ritz I think and uh, there was a song that they played called Dangerous Sex and Melly Mel from the Furious Five was rapping he was rapping this song and I saw Doug at rehearsal the next day and I said you know I told him I, I, the gig was incredible you know. I said, but I said, that song, I said, you should let me sing that song for you. So after the tour, Doug calls me and says, hey, man, can you come to London? Because that tech had spent most of their time in the UK. So, okay, got on a plane, went to the UK. And there I was with Tackhead. And what was it like performing with, with Doug and Keith and that whole unit? It was incredible. It was incredible. I got to uh, sing the song. I got to sing the song that, that, they, that Melly Mel rapped at that show at the Ritz. Uh, I, never, I never asked Doug what he thought about it. Well, obviously, they liked it because we ended up recording it with me singing it. And uh, it was, I think it was a little strange for them because they had been a rhythm section for so long. It was just a, it was the three of them with Adrian Sherwood. Adrian Sherwood, the sound cat, and with uh, Skip, Doug, and Keith. So I think it took a little bit of them getting used to, but the way that I saw it was they were an underground band. And uh, they would remain an underground band. And I, I thought be, by me being there, we could put them above ground. You know, you have a, you have a singer. So now there are songs to be sung, mm -hmm. not just grooves to be listened to, but, you know, songs. We could do songs. Get a little more of the intimate audience connection. Yes. 
Yes. And I think uh, uh, for the most part, I think most people were okay with it. There was definitely some resistance. I could feel it. Uh, but I was having such a good time. I wasn't going to let that deter me. <laughs> I was enjoying. I love hearing them play. I love Tackhead. I loved hearing uh, Skip Keith and, and, and Doug play. It, that was, it was incredible. And it was way ahead of its time. Way ahead of its time. Which was another thing that, you know, that, you know, that I gravitated to, that it was just so unlike anything else. There was nothing else like it. And watching Skip and, watching Skip and Doug dance around hitting pedals and samples, I, had, I don't think anybody had ever seen or heard um, a band do that. You manipulate samples like that and play at the same time. It, it was it was something to behold. You and, know. And yet, yet I think some of the same um, innovative and adventurous sensibilities that Bill Laswell was doing mm. were in common with some of what Tackett was doing. Yes, 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 without a doubt. Sound-wise, for sure. But again... I had never seen somebody dance around pedals like like Doug did at the time. And up until then, I don't think I had ever really seen um I might have heard it, but I never saw a drummer uh playing with loops live like that. You know, Keith was playing, you know, he was playing, he was playing together with a loop. And I, I had never, I had never experienced that. I, I certainly didn't sing it, you know, in front of anything like that before. I didn't. I will say that it was one of the um, best musical music experience uh, of my life up up till that time i absolutely loved performing with tackhead yeah well that hand grenade album is seminal i mean in my opinion um, mm. there was just nothing happening like that really especially at that time in the late 80s you know with what was going on in the music industry right um you know what's always interesting to me about you bernard among other things is it seems like in a lot of cases you were sort of like a free agent, but you became so much a part of different bands. You know, whether it's the Rolling Stones or the Herbie Hancock band or Tackhead. Mm -hmm. You know, it's uncommon, I think, to find a lead singer that um, ingratiates himself and becomes so much a part of some of the acts that he works with. Yeah. I um I was a free agent. Um you know, I never I never wanted to be a solo artist. I always wanted to be in a band. I always wanted to I wanted to be in the bands us uh, doing solo projects 
was something that I, 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 I just wasn't into. You know, even after the Peach Boys, I had a, I did have a record deal with Chris Blackwell and Island Records, and it was, um, I did it, I, I, I was forced to do it. I did it because, I, you know, the band didn't work, and, you know, I needed to keep moving. Um... I, you know, like I said earlier, you know, one of the hardest things in music business, one of the hardest things to do is keep a band together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, uh, I was forced to, and I, you know, when you're when you're a singer you know when you're an artist everybody wants to try and tell you what you should be doing i got it all the time and if i had listened to that to them telling me that i'd have been in a suit I'd have been in a suit singing like Luther Vandross. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Incredible talent. Oh, yeah. But I I wanted to do something different. I wanted to do something edgier. And I, I think that probably that want of that probably came from hanging around with Bill so much and hearing all the music and Tackhead and I wanted to do something different. I didn't want to be just an R&B singer. I did not want to be pigeonholed and you know by this time again you know my head was split open a second time from being with Tackhead and I was um, I I wanted and 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 I was I was I was you know I was going more into you know I was well I was already in this kind of industrial heavy funk thing and it kind of borderlined rock and roll and I, and that was something that I wanted to do. I wanted to do rock and roll. I even told Bill uh, when uh, when we were doing uh, when we were working on the uh, Public Image record. Uh, Bill was producing that record, and uh, and. Uh, I, I think I had expressed to him about, you know, wanting to, wanting, you know, to do some rock and roll. And uh, that, during the, the recording, during the recording of that record, which was Jeff, which was and still is one of the best records for me ever recorded. That Public Image PIL album, album, 
Oh man, that record I listened to. I still get off so hard on that record, and um, um, one day after the session, after the session, you know, Ginger Baker's playing drums on that record, mm. and a lot of people don't know, don't know this, but Tony Williams. Wow, Tony Williams is playing on that Tony Williams is playing rock and roll. A lot of people don't know that's him playing drums on that. And after we we had been in there, we had been working on the record and Tony came by the studio, you know, watching him play is, was just incredible, but we were living Electric Lady. Now, Bill and Tony had been, you know, they'd been talking about music and stuff. And we were standing, we were standing outside Electric Lady and Bill was saying, saying, Bernard, Tony wants to put together a rock band. And Tony said, yeah, man, I'd like you to sing for me. I'd like you to sing for this band. He was gonna do a, he was gonna do a power trio band with me fronting. Wow. And man, I I remember leaving them and I was like, oh man, this is this is this is this is gonna be good. A week or so later he died. Hmm. Wow. A week or so later he died, man. That, just crushed man and you know I, I i could only imagine what that what that could have and would have been hmm. you know oof incredible incredible and that, so yeah and, and I, ginger we lost about a year ago i guess it is ginger baker say again i said ginger baker we lost about a year ago i think it is yeah man yeah. yeah, yeah, that, yeah, I'm, t I'm telling you that, that was a most memorable time, you know, uh, you know, Bill originally hired me to be John Lydon's vocal coach, hmm. and, uh, <laughs> and um, me and John hit it off, we hit it off, right away we hit it off, you know, and you know, people can sing whatever they want, and you know, John has his thing. But I enjoyed working with him. You know, and in between sessions, you know, we'd we'd be walking up Fifth Avenue, and John would be pushing people's buttons. He was really good at that. You know, uh, just he just knew what to say to that person that was going to give them some angst. So it's just entertainment for you. It sounds like it was. Total entertainment. I would look at him, and you know, it's funny. You could, I would look at him, and I would, I could see, uh oh, he's getting ready to say something. He's getting ready to say something to somebody, <laughs> and he would do it. Oh my God. And they'd get all uptight, and he'd laugh about it. So I, I, I was, uh, I was hired to be his vocal coach, and, you know, and, you know, when I thought about it, it was like, 
you know, John Lydon sings the way John Lydon sings. I'm not going to try to change him, you know. The, uh, what I did do was just, you know, I would uh, show him phrasing and breathing and things like that. That's all he needed because John is John. John's sound is John's sound. So I just just shared, you know, my little bit of knowledge of breathing and phrasing. And he was nailing it. And, but the real treat for me, you know, I did all the, uh, all the backing vocal arrangements I did. And uh, a lot of that record, I actually doubled his voice. I doubled his leads and did all the background. So I was really, you know, I was really happy to do that. That was something that was something that, um, that was a, a a gift that I don't know. I don't. I wouldn't say that I knew I had. You know, to be able to double a person like John. Hmm. That was again. That was something that Bill threw me into, and, and it was you know, sink swim. And I discovered that I had a real knack for it. I had a real knack for doubling voices. And I did that for John. I think that was probably the first person that I doubled a lead for was John. And then Bill calls, you know, uh, months later, whenever it was, Bernard, come to the studio, okay? Go to the studio, he's producing Motorhead. Hmm. And he says, I need you to double his voice. Okay. So, Lemmy? The, yeah. <laughs> so, and now, Lem, I think Bill had worked with Lemmy, but for some reason, you know, uh, you know, he didn't get all of what he wanted. So he left Lemmy, came to New York, called me, and I doubled all of Lemmy's lead vocals for Orgasmatron. Hmm. Again, it was a it was a gift I discovered. And then it was a gift I discovered I had thanks to Bill. Bill is look. Bill is, is, is he's my guru. I'm, I, I love him. He pushed me. He pushed me. He, he made me see things in my voice that I didn't know was, was there. And as a result of doing that, a few years later, wow, I'm just thinking about this now. Okay, I get a call. I'm at home and I get a call from Jason Cassaro. Jason Cassaro, New York City engineer. He's um, most notably famous uh, for the power station. Mm -hmm. The drum sound, you know, on that power station project. Very heavy. That, yeah. was, that was Jason Cassaro. 
So I was home. Phone rings. It's Jason. Hey, Bernard. Jason, he said, Bernard, I need you to come to the studio. He said, I'm, uh, you know, I'm having a problem. You know, I'm having a problem. He said, I need you to come here. I need you to come here and give me a hand. I go to the studio. He's working with Moby. And they're doing, uh, they're doing tracks for the Beavis and Budhead soundtrack. Now, this one track, Ozzy, Ozzy Osbourne had gone to the studio. He had sang, he had sang a track, but he didn't complete it. He, you know, he left the studio before, you know, they could get him to complete it. So Jason asked me to come to the studio to to double Ozzy's voice. So that song that's on Beavis and Budhead, it's Ozzy and it sounds like Ozzy, but Ozzy usually does his own double. Not that time, it was me. Hmm. And that, and that, I'm just gonna skip. And this happened again more recently, um, I was working with a good friend of mine, Danny Saber, producer Danny Saber, Black Grape. He's he's from L.A. Danny's producing a record for Alice Cooper, mm -hmm. and uh, okay, I did a. You know, a bunch of, you know, again, vocal arrangements. That's something that I love doing. I love arranging voice. I love arranging background voice. So there was a song on the record, and this, this is on the Along Came a Spider album, Alice Cooper. It's uh, maybe two or three records ago. There was a song that Alice wanted to do a duet with Ozzy. Sharon Osbourne wouldn't let it happen. And Alice, you know, was a little bummed out about it. And so I said to her, I said, you know, Alice, I said, I'll do it for you. I'll, I'll do it. And he says, oh, Bernard, bless your heart, man. He said, oh, but, you know, I really wanted Ozzy. And I said, just wait, just wait a second. So I go into the bathroom. I get some tissue and I Put some tissue in my nose, Get and I go back sound. in. I go back in. I said, "Danny, rotate." <laughs> and I sang Ozzy. And Alice looked at me and said, "I can't believe you did that. I cannot believe you did that." And he kept it. And I remember when the when that record came out, Along Came a Spider came out, I remember reading a review about it. A reading a review. And this I got I got such a tickle out of this. They're talking about the record, da 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 da. And says something about 
and the duet with Ozzy Osbourne. And I just, I laughed so hard behind that because... Ozzy Fowler. <laughs> it's not. And you know what? And, you know, or, you know, Lemmy. Lemmy, I met Lemmy. This is uh, years after Orgasmatron. I was in a club called The Mint. Oh, in Culver City? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been there many times. Yeah. I'm in The Mint. I'm going back up to I'm going back up to Hollywood and Lemmy needs a ride. Now, I had never met Lemmy before. And uh he says, uh so I said, Come on, man, I'll give you a ride, you know. He I think he's going to the whiskey or something. And uh we get into the car and we're driving, and I'm thinking, should I tell him or should I not tell him? Should I tell him? Shouldn't I tell him? And I said, you know, Lemmy, we kind of worked together before. Really, mate? Yeah. I said, I'm the guy that doubled all your vocals on Orgasmatron. And he looked at me. He said, that was you? He said, oh, shit. He said, they told me it was a, some big black guy. I said, that was me. <laughs> Good on you, mate. Good on you, mate. <laughs> wow. Sorry, I went off. You, you got me remembering things here. No, that's good stuff, man. Good stuff. I, I got some questions I got to throw at you, though, um, that are on my head. Um, Go. You know, those stories, I mean, it makes you sound almost chameleon-like in the way you can, you know, bend and shape and do what you need to do vocally, which is, you know, a gift for sure and a skill. But I'm curious, you know, what in your mind is the main difference between singing R&B-oriented material well versus singing the rock material well? Uh, it's just a feeling. It's a feeling. Um, I think um, uh, R&B, R&B is more, um, I would say R&B, if I got to answer this, R&B is more, um, It's more controlled. R&B is more controlled. Uh, whereas rock and roll is a, is a, it's, it's a little more freer. It's a little more freer. You know, they're both based in blues, but rock and roll to me seems a little less controlled you can you can spit a little more when you're singing rock and roll you know where most time r&b is nice and slick and you know 
you know, melody is always important, no matter what you're doing. It's just, it's, it's an energy. It's a performance, you know. Um, a rock and roll is a little higher energy than, than uh, R&B would be. Although when you're, you know, so depending on a part of the song, they may both take on the, the similar, similar energy or similar shape. But for the most part, R&B is a little more controlled than rock and roll. I uh, cut some clips on YouTube. There's a lot of you on YouTube, so I urge everybody to definitely search Bernard out on YouTube. Uh, great stuff. And some of the stuff that you did in New York on those uh, small club sets with Wadi Wachell, um, you know, that rock stuff was a lot of fun. Really, um, I think caught you even doing like Sin City and stuff like that. I mean, that was a kick. <laughs> You know, it was, it was a kick for me. I didn't know I could do that. <laughs> I didn't know I could do that. Wadi said, hey, B, let's do this. Okay, you know what? Something about me that, uh, that I think a lot of people, the difference between me and a lot of people is that I will try anything. I'll try anything. All they could do is say no. I've heard no before. I I wouldn't be offended. I I'll try it. And if and that's something I always say, if I can feel it, I believe I can do it. If I can feel it in my heart, I believe I can do it. And I will try. Well, in talking about feeling, I can only imagine what the rush is like being up on stage with the Stones at one of those massive shows. What was like the first big tour you did with those guys? And what was it like being in that situation? <laughs> it's... Uh... You know, some of that feeling I still get when, I, when I'm on stage with the Stones. Um, the rush was incredible. First, first tour, the first tour I ever did with the Rolling Stones was Steel Wheels. And the first show I did was in Philadelphia. That was the first show of the of, uh, Steel Wheels tour. And... I mean, the energy is incredible. Listen, look, I'm, I'm a freaking Rolling Stones fan. I was a Rolling Stones fan before I even started to work with them. So to be on stage and have Keith and Ronnie and Charlie in my ear and looking at Mick, who I watch like a hawk, because when I took the Stones gig, it was important. It was important to me that the stuff that I had to sing was close, was... I wanted people to feel... I didn't want it to feel foreign. 
I didn't want people to because sometimes you go see a, a band and it's so different. Yes, Stones are different. The Stones are like a jazz band. It's never the same night tonight. It's the same song, but they never play it the same. And Mick never sings the same. So there are lines, you know, Keith, you know, Keith is playing his act. So a lot of the, uh, the background stuff or the harmonies that he would sing with Mick, he, he doesn't sing. He's, he's busy playing his guitar. So I have to do that. And those parts have to be there for me. They have to be there. And, and I always think, thought for the audience, those parts have to be there. You know, they're singing those things in their head and I want those things to be there. So I watch him like a hawk. And I've been there so long now that I can almost telegraph where, what he's going to do. If he's going to dip tonight or he's going to go the other way, I can actually telegraph it most of the time now. I mean, it took me a while to get to that place, but yeah, it's just always been important to me that, you know, that I am really there supporting, supporting and singing the parts that need to be there, that need to be prominent. You know, on the record, there's, there are times where Mick's voice is doubled. He's doubled himself. So I become his doubler. You know, I'm his, you know, I'm his human, I'm his human doubler. You know, it's not a machine, you know, and I think I, I even heard somebody say, wow, man, you know, sound man so good, man. I heard mixed double, blah, 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 and I'm thinking, yeah, that's me. That's not, you know, or they say, oh, yeah, it had to be, oh, this is what I would hear something. Oh, man, they, oh, man, they, they're playing with the tape. They're playing with the tape. They get, they're playing with the tape. I've heard that a lot. It's like, no, ain't no tape. Ain't no tape. We are doing those parts. I'm. On, you got to be on it to give that effect. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And, and it, didn't, it, it didn't hurt having a partner like Lisa Fisher. It didn't, it did that didn't hurt because Lisa, Lisa and I were able to work it and she's such a pro. We were able to sing in a way where it was big. We sing it big. So when that chorus comes around, it's big. You know, you might think it's three people instead of two. You know, we and you know, picking the right the the right harmonies. You know, and singing it with the right texture, with the right texture. It's which is super important. Texture is super important as a singer. Texture is important, especially if it's not your gig and it's somebody else's gig. You've got to have listened to that record so that when it's time to perform it live, 
that texture is there. You know, so the people that are listening to it, they're feeling it. That you, I always, I want them to feel it like they feel it when they listen to the record. I imagine something like "Give Me Shelter" especially must just be amazing oh, to do live. Nobody does it better. No one does it better. What was it like to be in the studio with those guys when they're going through their process? Man, <laughs> I wish I had that luxury. Man, it, it's an incredible process, you, you know, to just to hear them throw it against the wall. Let's try it this way. Let's try it up. Let's try it down. Let's try it this way. Let's try it that way. You know, it's. You know, uh, it's a lot of it's, it's a lot of trying. They, you know, they always come in with solid ideas, and then it's just a matter of you know them all getting together and and you know and creating that feel that everybody's happy with. You know, I, I, uh, you know, I've I've been privileged to actually be in there and and watch that process. Uh, um, there was even a time where I, uh, where I was, I was there or I, I was with Keith, like at the very ground level, ground level when it's a thought in his head that he's trying to, that he's trying to create you know, where it just starts with a riff and then maybe one line. He might have one line. Well, at one particular time I was there and it was just a groove that he was messing around with. He didn't have the lyric all, all uh, together and he was just playing it over and over and getting that feel. And once he got that, then I guess he would pin the rest of the lyric uh, but it's funny uh, when at, when that happened, um, I went into creative mode. I was already singing the background parts before the song was already done. So when it actually got recorded, I had the parts already, hmm. and that is uh, that's a privilege, you know. An honor and a privilege, because you know everybody's not a uh, everybody doesn't get to see that or be around that. So I, yeah. it was a honor for me. That's amazing. I I would be remiss for sure if I didn't ask you about your experience working with Bootsy. Um, with with who? With Bootsy Collins. Bootsy Collins. <laughs> So that the What's Bootsy Doing album, you were uh, on that one, right? Yep, that's right. Yeah. Man, uh, well, well, come on, man. Bootsy Collins is a, you know, he's one of my heroes. And up until that, up until that time, I had, I had never met him. I'd seen, I'd, I'd seen him. I'd seen him perform. I'd seen, I'd see George Clinton, Parliament Funkadelic, you know, I saw them. That that was another really 
heavy influence because I don't know how George does it well. Some of the best voices ever recorded are on Parliament Funkadelic Records. Those voices are sick. And I loved it. And, um, one of my heroes, you, you said somebody that was, the, you asked me about an influence, was Glenn Goins. Hmm. Glenn Goins was, I saw him, Randall's Island, I believe it was, and I saw him again at Radio City during the Mothership Connection. I saw that show. Oh man, I was paralyzed. I was paralyzed. I had never heard anybody sing like that in my life. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> Incredible. Glenn Goins? Woo! Terrible. Lord, that man could sing. He was awesome, yeah. Ooh, that man could sing. We lost a great one there, man. You know, he died. He he died so young, man. I can only imagine what was to come because from what I what I had heard, he had left. He left George, and he was getting ready to do his own solo thing. And, Woo! And a lot of somebody, something else people don't know the Bernie Warrell. Bernie Warrells are singing food. You know when um, I think when the Peach Boys when the Peach Boys fell apart. I think it was during that time. Oh. Let me go back even further. Remember I told you I auditioned for the band Total Eclipse and a week later I was in Media Sound? Mm -hmm. I walk in Media Sound. The first person I saw was John Faddis. You know, I listened to a lot of jazz radio also, so I knew who that was. And I talked to him for a little while. Hey, man, what you, what you doing here? What are you doing in here, young blood? I'm like, I'm working in the studio down there, you know, da, da, da. All right, man, he shook my hand. You have a good time, man, have a good time. And I'm walking up the corridor and there's a cat. He's bent down like this. He's in full buckskin. Brown buckskin jacket pants and shoe and moccasins and a hat on and i looked now again this is my first time in a recording studio and i said oh shit that's bernie warrell and i walked up i creeped up close to him and he was sitting down like this Picked up his hand. I said, hi, Mr. Warrell. <laughs> hey, brother, how you doing? How you doing? And then years later, 
I was having a, I, I, I believe it was after, um, after I left um, Peach Boys, there was a, I had some time. Bernie, I started hanging out with Bernie. And this is around time Bernie, Bernie had left P-Funk for a while. He was doing his own solo stuff. And worked a lot with Bill. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And it, Bernie had a Bernie had a friend named Butch. Butch drove the station wagon with the, all of Bernie's gear from, from gig to gig. Now, I just went because it was Bernie. I was hanging out with Bernie. He asked me, hey, come on, you want to sing in the band? I'm like, no, no, I don't want to sing. I just want to be here. I heard Bernie sing a version of uh, The Sun Will Come Up Tomorrow. Man, I was in tears. I was in tears. And I didn't know. I did I just I just I knew Bernie, you know, you know, his playing. I didn't know he sang like that. He was an incredible vocalist. You know, when you talk about Glenn Goines, of course, he's so prominent and well-known, but a lot of those guys could sing, I found out later. Like, Eddie Hazel, too, was a good singer. Yep, all of them. Eddie, Gary. A lot of times, you know, I think, uh, you know, things that you might think is Glenn is actually Gary. You know, and, uh, and um, you know, and, Mo and uh, Mudbone, Mudbone Cooper. So... I, I went off the off the subject, but uh, yes, Bootsy Collins. I got to meet Bootsy for the that album, and it was uh, me and Gary Cooper, me and Gary Mudbone Cooper. We did all the vocals for that, for that, and I was in heaven, man. I had I, I had you know, I'm sharing a mic with some P funkers. It was amazing, and I, I remember I got to the studio, and, and I, I don't know who it was, but Bill said, "Yo, man, this guy walked in here." He said, "Just before you got here, this guy walked in here, you know, asking if, 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 if we wanted him to sing." He said, "I told him to get out of here," I, and he never told me who it was, but somebody was out trying to fish fish my gig or something <laughs> but it was a it was a great time and we you know we did a whole lot of singing and we did a lot of laughing you know and i i remember teasing teasing bootsy about his shoes and he he got a kick out of that because i think even on the record on the record at some point i think i even said something on the microphone about hey man where's your shoes because oh because it Bootsy had done a recording for a long time. So during that record, you know, there was some, you know, we were doing some talking on the track and I said something about his shoes and he got a kick out of that. So that was a lot of fun. But also uh, I had a, I had a, I had a really good time singing with, um, with uh, Gary Mudbone. Mudbone Cooper, we did... Uh, he has such a unique sound. Yes, very unique. And uh, we worked so good together. We did um, uh, Sly and Robbie. 
Uh-huh. Rhythm Killers? Say, yes, that's right. Yeah. Rhythm Killers and uh, Rhythm Killers. And I think, I'm not sure if we both did it, but I also did uh, Rhythm Killers and Language Barrier. I did those two records. But yeah, that it, it was a treat. And, you know, I got to see Bootsy do his thing and... Just incredible, man. I, 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 I've been, I've been blessed, man. I've seen some really cool shit. There's much more to this great Truth and Rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. And become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you very much.